Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand just a little more about how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. The Skyway community gives you context from former contracting officers, just-in-time training in the government market, and consulting to solve your unique puzzles. Visit AskSkyway.com to learn more and see if you're a fit. Today, we're talking about mandatory sources in government contracting. Let's get started. The government buys everything. If it's legal and it's ethical, the government buys it somewhere, is how the saying goes, right? But, but how do they buy it is the question. Well, it's uh, no surprise that there are rules. There are, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, we talk about the rules all the time. Rules. But on top of the overall acquisition process rules, there's a priority process for how the government buys things. And this is really zooming out. Before most of the processes that we usually discuss on the podcast even start, the government side has a priority list to review. And there happens to be a whole section of the FAR devoted to that list, FAR Part 8, titled Required Sources of Supplies and Services. Before we talk about those required sources, let's say thanks. I'd like to thank Jason Allen. He's a subcontract manager, specifically for engaging on LinkedIn. He pointed out that he listens to our podcast on Overcast, which is a different app. And we had a discussion on LinkedIn about how the downloads count through Overcast, etc. My point is, I really appreciate when people tell us how they're using this content so it helps us get better at delivering it in ways that you can actually use it. So thanks for that. <laughs> thanks, Jason. Okay, back to required sources. As I mentioned, we're talking FAR Part 8. This part deals with prioritizing sources of supplies and services for use by the government. And it has a list of specific required sources that the government must use or must consider, I should say, before they move on to open competition in the, in the open market. For example? First, before you try to buy anything, FAR 8.4 says, consider excess personal property. And what it means by that is, what does the government already own? Look at those GFP lists. Figure out what you have laying around before you buy another one. It's kind of like all that crap that's in your attic or maybe stuffed in the back of the garage that you forgot that you already had a lawnmower, so you go out and buy a new one. (laughs) Yeah, how many nuts and bolts do you go replace? Oh, I didn't realize I had four bags of screws. Well, now I have a fifth one. Yay. Yeah, I probably have 50 partial bags of things like that. (laughs) That's genetics. That comes from my dad, by the way. So after you've looked to see if you already have some of this stuff that you're considering buying, there's other required sources. One of the big ones is federal supply schedules. Sorry, we're not going to cover that in in detail today. GSA schedules, uh, government-wide contracts, that kind of stuff. But that is a required source. You also have to consider the Federal Prison Industries Incorporated, which is a self-sustained, wholly-owned government corporation owned by the District of Columbia. I know that because I read that right out of the FAR. I was going to say, it sounds like you read that. Next is a program called Ability One. And it's been called many things in the past, but currently it's called Ability One. And this is acquisition from nonprofit agencies employing people who are blind or severely handicapped. And then there's some specific, if you're buying this, there are required sources that you have to consider before you buy them anywhere else. And that's things like acquisition of helium. 
Yeah, FAR 8.5 says, if you're buying a lot of helium, you have to follow the requirements of the Helium Act. There's actually a law for that. That's fine. Yeah, helium. Why helium? Acquisition of printing and related supplies. There's a government printing office. So if you are a government agency and you're acquiring printing services, you have to use the government printing office first. So I imagine that's a lot smaller office than it was 40 years ago. One would hope. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. And another one that's pretty obvious is leasing of motor vehicles. Why are there required sources and rules for leasing of motor vehicles? It's because somebody abused it. I'm sure that at some point, some government agency bought a bunch of Cadillac Escalades for their people. Or this is probably, this probably goes back way before the Escalade even existed. Yeah. You get the point. There's rules that you have to buy minimum size cars and they have to meet fuel economy requirements and all this other stuff. But there's rules. And each one of these could be their own podcast. So that was a list of the required sources that exist. Well, on top of that, there's a list of what's the order of priority, like actual order of priority that the government is supposed to use. So what it says in FAR 8002A1 is inventories from the required agency. In other words, you have this stuff already. Then you go and look at what other agencies have. So you're supposed to pick your head up from the DOD and go ask DHS, hey, do you have this stuff? I didn't do that very much. Then there's, <laughs> then there's federal prison industries. Then you have uh, what's on the procurement list for, under the Ability One program, which is FAR 8.7. And then you get into a whole what they call wholesale supply sources. And I, I'm going to read this because it's, it's, this is the nuance of the FAR, such as stock programs from the GSA, the Defense Logistics Agency, and Department of Veteran Affairs, and military inventory. And the reason all that's in there is if you ever wonder why there's an RFID tag, why there's an entire system designed to track all the stuff the government buys, well, the idea is that they're supposed to be able to say, oh, look, this agency has that piece of equipment. We can just get it from them. It's not always that easy, but that's the intent. And that's just for supplies. On the services side, the only priority you have is if Ability One does it. If you can buy this from blind or handy, severely handicapped people, then you need to start there. That's the logic. Or you need to consider starting there. So you have to follow the priority list, except there's exceptions that allow you to navigate around some of the priority lists to get to the open market. But in cases of unusual and compelling urgency, other sources can be used. So if you write that justification and approval document, that sole source justification that's in FAR 6.3, you can skip the priority list, but only if it's unusual and compelling and we have a podcast episode that's all about how JNAs are written. So we just got through the litany of required sources that you consider. And this is before we've even thought about the open market. But wait, there's more. So industry folks, understand that if you sell products that are available from any of the required sources of supplies, you're not at the front of the line unless you're playing along with the government's rules. And then once you actually step out to the non-mandatory sources, the first set in this game, we'll call it the shoots and ladders is kind of how it feels sometimes. The next step is FAR 7, which is acquisition plan kicks in, and you have to actually write an overall acquisition plan that talks to all the pieces of why you're competing it, what, are the, what is the overall strategy, who is going to do the market research, all that kind of stuff. And you also have FAR Part 19, which is small business programs. Now you have to justify why are you not setting it aside for small business or veteran-owned small business, women-owned small business, et cetera? So you so get all, through all of the required sources. Then you have to consider all of the small and disadvantaged sources. 
And then if none of that document that yeah. well, and I, if none of that fits, then you finally get to full and open competition with everybody else. Correct. Then then you have commercial sources, which is they, they consider educational and nonprofit institutions. But now you're on the open market. Yeah, it's funny because it feels like most stuff is done on the open market. So when somebody says, you know, why does it take so long to get an acquisition done? I had a service contract to, to move some equipment from one part of the base to the other. And it's a simple service, but it took like three weeks to go through this whole process and justify why it wasn't something that these mandatory sources should be doing because they were going to do it inefficiently. They're going to cost more, and it's not what they specialized in. But my point is you as the industry are sitting out there going, where the heck is that RFP? Well, <laughs> that's the stuff that it, you know, it just it eats up your time. First, we're and, considering the required sources. Then we're considering every small business on the planet. Exactly, and we're justifying why we're not making it a – uh, you know, service disabled veteran and small business set aside. I mean, all, you got to get that through somebody. Right. And that, that takes time. So that's what's happening in the background. Before you even see an RFI, if I put out an RFI and it ends up being a uh, federal prison industries requirement, I wasted my time. Right. So, it, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff happening before it even gets exposed to the open market. Nice air quotes. <laughs> Thank you. One more thing to talk about with required sources. The very beginning of FAR Part 8, 8.001 General, talks about IT. It says, regardless of the source of supplies or services to be acquired, information technology acquisition shall comply with capital planning investment control requirements in U.S. code and OMB circular, blah, 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 managing information as a strategic resource in a digital economy. So even though you're buying from the required sources or the set-asides or in the open market, you still have to think about things differently you're buying IT. And the translation is that in IT equipment and services, the digital economy, as they call it, is evolving so fast that it kind of needs its own process. And I think this this was added as a as a as a office of management budget circular to the because they don't want to say, hey, you will buy computers here. And then you know, two years later, that's the worst way to buy computers or two months later. It's the worst way. So I think that this is an attempt to add some sanity to this process. Let's talk about when required sources fit into the acquisition time zones. This is on the acquisition side. It's not really the requirement zone. The government finds its requirement. Then they get to the market research zone, and they have to decide, where can I actually buy this from? First, we look at the required sources, and that informs the RFP zone. How are we going to buy this? Let's talk about why it is important to understand about required sources of supplies. Well, the big reason for me is context. Is do you have context on what's going on? This is a great example under the 80-20 rule, 80% process, 20% relationships, and government sales. This is a pro- this is process on steroids. I mean, there, there's no relationship that's going to override the fact that you have to buy, was it helium? Through the Helium Act. Right, <laughs> it's right. like, if you don't know about the Helium Act and you sell helium, you got a problem. All right, and, and the other side of this is that it's important because this is the system that we have. If you didn't know that FAR Part 8 existed, now you do, th- th- this is one of those things that can cost you a lot of time and money. Yeah. And the the last piece for me and why this is important is that this really helps you with targeting. Is it understand how does your government customer buy what you sell? If they buy it through a specific GSA or GWAC contract and you're not on that contract, you're you're not in the right place. And so this is a really important concept to understand is that there are required sources and there are required processes that if you're not aware of Either side, as a government person, if you're marketing to small businesses saying, hey, we buy this, but we don't buy it from you. If you don't know that, you're wasting their time. So for both sides, you need to know this. 
So two things now that you've taken a breath. First, what's a GWAC? You said GWAC. Oh, GWAC stands for government-wide acquisition contract. And what that means is it's a large contract for something, for services, products, whatever, and anybody in the government can, can buy off of it. Right. And so like the Na- Navy will have a contract that – it's the Navy's contract. They administer it, but anybody can order off of it. So it's think of it like a GSA contract that's managed by a, an agency other than GSA. Yeah, they've already negotiated the hard part of it, so it makes the – in theory, it makes the acquisition process easier. The second thing is – I think it's funny you were talking about helium being – part of the the 80 percent of the process right you have to understand what the process is if you're going to sell helium the funny part is that's the way it is now but to get that to be the process someone had to the use the relationships <laughs> to, well. to get well. the helium act created so that it limited sources of helium to this so at some <laughs> point it was 80 percent relationship that got that done or maybe 99 percent relationship 99%, that got yeah. that act which has then codified it to where all we have left is a process that unless you want to invest enough time and energy into the relationships to get that process changed. I, I never thought of it that way, but that's a really good point. How do we get process? It's relationship. Always evolving with this 80-20 thing. <laughs> that's right. Let's talk specifically about the government side. Why does the government care about this required sources stuff? As a buyer, you need to know where do I start looking? I, I know what I have to buy. We've got the requirement. Where do I start looking for it? What are the steps to actually buy it? You know, what is the process for my agency? Do we have our own GWAC for this? Is there another GWAC that we use? Do we normally get this off of GSA? Has somebody documented the process? First time I used a GSA contract, it was awesome because my, my I was a contract specialist. The contracting officer, they had like a 13-step process that for this service, which we buy you know every year, we get it off of this GSA schedule, and here's the process. And you negotiate the, the number of hours and, and you know, get, get a better rate if there is one, but there was a process in place. So if I didn't know that and I went you know, out on the open market to buy this thing. It is difficult to figure out how to start, and you should be thinking, what's the most efficient? What's the easiest way for me to buy this? If someone has a list that says this is how we do it every time and it's really easy, that helps. Another example of this is as an early buyer, I went to a vendor expo, which is – a fancy way of saying the small business folks from the base said, hey, if you want to sell to the government, come on base for this event. Well, here I am, Mr. Contract Specialist, walking around, and there was all kinds of equipment and services. I mean, there's probably like 100 different vendors there. All, all these small companies had their booths. And there are two problems. One, I actually hadn't been in the government long enough to understand how I could buy this wrench from this dude, right? Or I could buy this service from this, this company. But likewise, here's the, the big takeaway from the government side. Do they know that? Do those small businesses realize that if you provide janitorial services at our base, we may already get that through Ability One? In which case, for them to spend the time to come on base and present all this information and and you know put get a booth and all that kind of stuff, they may be wasting their time. So make sure you know how you buy your stuff and you're educating these small businesses that you're reaching out to, or for that matter, your small business specialist is reaching out to, so you're not just clogging up the wheels. Because I didn't know how this stuff was bought, but they were pitching to me like. I was supposed to know. <laughs> I'm sure that's happening all over the place. Right. And if you don't know, you may go about putting together or trying to put together some very elaborate acquisition strategy to acquire this when there's already a very simple way in place, right? So there's no reason to reinvent the wheel for things that are already available through the the GSA schedules or the GWACs. I think I've actually been talking about why industry cares as well, right? You need to understand how your customer buys. Not only does the government need to understand, 
what is the easiest and most efficient way to acquire this. If you're a seller, you need to be on that list of the easiest and most efficient ways to buy these things. Does your customer buy the same way that you sell? If not, you need to hop on board their process. And, and something to consider, there are no thresholds for how these contracts are used. So, for example, I used one of these mandatory sources for a small contract. It was three people, and it was like $400,000 a year. But these same processes are used for large IDIQ multiple award contracts that run $100 million a year. So there's no threshold that says, you know, once you get above $100 million, you stop using these mandatory sources. They apply everywhere. Yeah, I think I think those GUACs are used for some of the largest purchases of services that, that I've seen. Yeah, I, I would agree. The point there is if you're not on the vehicles that they use to buy these things, you don't even have a chance to compete. And that goes back to the targeting piece. Is if you know how your target customer buys, you have to be in the streams that they're fishing in. And if the stream is two or three of these GWAC contracts or, or GSA schedules, or, or for that matter, some other mandatory source, and you're not, you're not in those streams when they go fishing, they're not looking for you. And you may be the best provider out there, but they're not looking in your direction. And an example would be I was at a conference and I was speaking as contracting officer. And this company that provided a piece of equipment that we had just bought through another one of these contracts, they make it. They manufacture, you know, in, in some small uh, factory there and they're up in the northeast and it was cheaper. But I literally didn't know that they existed because I looked in this list in this. this I, I looked on. I, I mean, honestly, I looked in a GSA schedule because this is where I'd been buying it and we were getting good product. This company didn't realize, oh, I should be on that GSA schedule. And I kind of felt bad for them because it was a big order. And I think they, they probably would have won it because they had you know, the best product that was made in the U.S., all that, all those you know, good good stories. But that's why this is such a passionate issue for me is that if you don't know how your customer buys, there's one of many examples of they're, they're just not going to see you. And there, there are plenty of people for them to see. <laughs> you want them to see you first. It's really not difficult to get yourself into the right streams. It's not difficult to get yourself onto a GSA schedule. If you're a small business, it's not difficult to represent yourself properly to qualify for set-asides or to partner with the larger companies that are on those vehicles. You don't actually have to have the GWAC contract. You just have to be available through that. And maybe that's as a sub. All right, I'll stop rambling about that. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. So the big takeaway is the government is trying to be efficient by using sources that already exist, by using the systems and processes that we already have in place. But that doesn't always feel efficient at the ground level, right. uh, but that's the, that's the goal here, one of the goals. And from the government side, be aware of these other sources that with, within the government that you can buy from. Be aware of these other GWACs. They are much more efficient. I think that's the reason that you'll see some of these GWAC, these government-wide acquisition contracts. You'll see them, they'll have a booth at an event because they're trying to market themselves to the rest of the government to say, hey, before you go invent your own contract, we already buy that from like, you know, 1,500, in some cases, 1,500 different vendors are on this giant contract we have. And so be looking for those. And some of them are obvious. You can think of, you know, off the top of your head. But there are lots of them that I was surprised when I went looking. I realized how many contracts that are I could have ordered off of that I didn't know exist. Yeah, I think it's funny. You say this is this is the government trying to be efficient. And I agree with you. This is efficiency or an attempt to be efficient at the ground level. But this is where politics and favoritism are institutionalized. What I mean by that is not all of it makes sense. 
Some of it may make sense to you if you're a more liberal sort of person and you think that employing blind or disabled people is a good thing that, that benefits the overall economy or humanity or whatever. Some of it may not make sense to you if you're a more conservative person who says that this is a perversion of capitalism and you know may the best company win in the most in the cheapest and most efficient manner possible because it's not always efficient to use federal prison industries or ability one but our government we the people have decided that that's good for us so some of what we're talking about is about efficiency some of it is clearly politics and influence at work and some of it are just those things that make you scratch your head about the far like the helium act thing required sources for helium hmm there's a story in there somewhere. We may hear it based on putting this podcast out. <laughs> yeah, I'll get hate mail from all the helium suppliers. <laughs> it's like the, the, the helium lobby's coming after you. Now. <laughs> That's it. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you, Paul. That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Help us spread the word. If you learned something today, please tell a friend about the Contracting Officer Podcast. As always, send your questions, comments, and complaints to paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. And that list, housed is housed? That's a good word, right? It's housed. Housed? That's how it's pronounced. Yeah, housed. And that list is hosed. Um, <laughs> it is hosed, but that's a whole other joke.